Principal Matters Podcast, episode 146. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. Today, we'll be discussing establishing good habits for balancing priorities with my guest, Jen Schwanke. Jen is also serving as co-host for this series on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. She's the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders and the principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. If you'd like a longer intro to her work, you can check out Principal Matters podcast episode 140 or the last two weeks of episodes. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us for this series of episodes that we're hosting together. Thank you so much. It's a privilege and honor to be here. Well, I want to start with a story. You know, principals can easily feel overwhelmed with many tasks that they manage. And I would like to just hear from you first, Jen. Tell us a story about a time when you have felt overwhelmed trying to balance leadership priorities. You know, I I have a story that has um, occurred to me many times. So let's tell it like it happened once, but the real truth is it has happened many times. And, you know, it, it comes when everything is happening so quickly and all these tasks need done. And, you know, a student gets sent to the office for discipline and you need to get your newsletter out. And maybe your secretaries, you know, we have to talk. I have a purchase order that's outstanding. We have to talk about this. And it just becomes so unmanageable. And in your own mind, you start thinking, how will I ever, ever get this all done? I can't get it all done. And right when you're at that lowest moment of despair, something else happens. Some kid pulls the the fire alarm or a parent walks in and wants to talk to you. So that had happened to me. And I thought, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to cry, maybe, or I'm going to scream, or I'm going to slam something around. And I knew that wasn't healthy or productive. So I quickly retreated. I told the secretary, I I need a moment. And I went down the hall and down the stairs, and I went to the boiler room. And every principal knows the boiler room is a place of refuge. And it's dark and it's warm. And you can find a little corner where you can kind of lean over and breathe and gather yourself a little bit. And that's exactly what I did. And I I threw a little silent temper tantrum with myself. And then as temper tantrums do, it dissipated. And I, I was able to dig a little bit deeper and find my common sense and my strength to go back up the stairs and walk down the hall and start marking some tasks off that list. So I'm sure every principal can relate to that entire series of events. I think they can. And as I think back to my leadership, I'm going to tell the story of my first week as an assistant principal because you go in cycles. But I can remember moving from the classroom to the office feeling that sense of pride and an accomplishment that I finally get to be involved in this work that I've trained so long to do. And I have my master's and I've just prepped and this is finally the moment. And, And I remember one day in particular where we had so much student discipline happening, (laughs) so many parent phone calls coming in. I had a situation happening in my office that I was trying to manage with a secretary that said, there's a dad on the phone that needs to talk to you right now. And I didn't know then how to like, like tell someone they they could wait, tell someone they could wait. So so I pick up the phone while I'm in the middle of a a crisis in my office. And now I've got two crises that are happening at the same time. And I just remember just wanting 
to use profanity. Right. I just, I just was, I, I felt like my brain was locking up and my heart was going to stop. And I just had all this, like this physical, mental, yes. emotional, this, it was like this whirlwind, this tornado of, of activity going on in my body and brain that I had never experienced before. Right ever, even as a teacher. And I was like, what in the world am I doing? Right. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years later, and I'm a site principal now. I moved from assistant into leading a building. And I can remember the closing out of the school year and getting ready to start the new, the new school year because I was transitioning from assistant to principal in a place where the principal was retiring. And I remember one day sitting down with my list of to-dos and suddenly feeling that same feeling coming back to me all yes. over again of that overwhelm and going, wait a second, I thought you outgrew this. You know, I thought right. that this was something you outgrew. And so I had to pause and ask myself, what are the lessons that I've learned before that can help me as I'm stepping forward? And that's what I really like about your book, Jen, is that you you take opportunities to just give some basic strategies and solutions for right. principles about how they can move forward. So I, that's what I want to talk about today. So let's just jump into that conversation. All of us can relate to that feeling of over, feeling overwhelmed and that need to balance our leadership priorities. So let's just walk through what are some of the strategies and solutions that school leaders can consider when trying to balance priorities. You mentioned what I think is one of the most powerful ones, and that is to know your own limitations and be honest about them, not only to yourself, but to others too. You know, we, we think we will outgrow this in some way, but as your story shows, even 10 years of, of hard knocks doesn't dissipate that physical reaction to being overwhelmed. And, you know, to be honest about those limitations and say, you know, I sometimes just get overwhelmed. There's too much that I need to cover. And, and even saying something like, I, I have a physical reaction to that. Or to me, it's this feeling that I'm going to get weepy. And, you know, it's complicated for principals because we are paid to not do those things. <laughs> we are paid to keep our cool, to not get defensive, to not get angry, to not get overwhelmed and, and emotional. So we always have this voice in our head saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And it just compounds itself when the despair piles on top of the despair. So I, I think it's important to be honest and say, listen, I'm feeling the way that I feel when it's too much. And so I'm going to put to delay a decision or I'm going to not respond to this phone call right away. Stop, stop the train a little bit before it goes off the rails. Mm, I like that. And so I, that first takeaway, be honest about your limitations, being willing to just stop for a moment and admit I can't do this. I need help. That really is the first step. Right. Trying to come up with what solutions are going to work. Right. What are some other takeaways, Jen? I think of the term martyr a lot with ineffective principles. People don't like martyrs and they especially don't like someone who's paid to be in charge to be a martyr. And so I will sometimes hear of principals who say, oh, I'm just so busy. I can't possibly get to this. Um, and that's very different than being honest with your limitations. If you say, you know, I need a little bit of time. I'm not at my best right now. Very different from implying that it's just too much and you got it harder than anyone else in the building. And if they only understood how busy you are. And so I think it's a, a balance there. You've got to make sure that you're honest with your limitations, but not to a point where it makes you ineffective and makes you a martyr. Nobody likes that, especially not from someone who's hired to lead. Yeah, you and I have that same strategy in common. And another way I explain that to principals is by saying a, a quote I've heard from other, another leader, which is tuck in your cape 
Absolutely. You are not a superhero. Exactly. And because I think sometimes we assume that we can get this done just through the grit and the determination. Absolutely. Forcing our way forward when, when in reality, admitting that you're not a superhero, right. choosing not to be a martyr, then welcomes suddenly the need for other people, right. which is what strong leadership really is, is the ability to recognize how I can gather other people around me to help me accomplish the goals. Because that's what real leadership is. It isn't you accomplishing these amazing feats. Right. You recognizing your own strengths and limitations and the strengths and limitations of those around you so that together you can right. start accomplishing what's next. So well, and people are really watching, you know, there's this great saying when the principal has a cold, everybody in the building has a cold. So if you're pouty, everybody's going to be pouty. And if you're, you know, stressed or harried or running around, everybody else is going to feel that. And so you've got to address your limitations without martyrdom, but also make sure that you're projecting what you want the teachers to project to the students. Yeah. And I think that leads to a third strategy, right. Jen, which is be strong and remain positive. I was just talking to my wife this morning at breakfast and she told me this really neat story. She was reading an article to me and I wish I could quote the source. Maybe I can find it later and link it in the show notes. But she was talking about this woman who was looking at a situation where she was feeling overwhelmed or she could look at the situation and decide to find what she could be grateful for. And she made the quote, which wolf am I going to feed? Am I I going to feed the wolf of despair or am I going to feed the wolf of positivity? And I thought, whoa, that's a great takeaway because as leaders, I think it's important for us to remember that even when we're feeling overwhelmed, we have a responsibility to try to stay positive. That doesn't mean not being real. It just means figuring out, okay, this is, there is a solution possible here and, and how can we move forward? What are the you know, I have that? a I have a huge sign in my office and it says not to spoil the ending for you, but everything is going to be okay. And the yeah. meaning of that saying is great, but the bigger part for me is that I need to remember that. And I need to not think that any problem that comes my way might be the thing that, you know, ends the world. It really will be okay. And and if I remember that, then I find a positive attitude to be pretty easy. Say, you know what, this isn't anything. We've got this. Let's, let's work through the steps we need to to get it done. And so that is a positivity that I think school, school cultures really, really need to have. Being honest with your limitations, choosing not to be a martyr, being strong and remaining positive. What, what's another strategy, Jen, that you would suggest for principals when they're feeling overwhelmed? I think we need to talk about organization. (laughs) (laughs) The job is, you know, it's rapid fire. I always liken the principalship to being a tree trunk and there's woodpeckers everywhere. There's, you know, peck, 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 peck. There's all these things happening and we can sit there and take it or we can begin to organize things mentally into tasks. Mm -hmm. And mental organization leads to physical organization. And by physical, I mean lots of things. I mean a checklist. I also mean a clean, organized, neat office. I mean, keeping track of tasks. And so to keep your mind organized is a great way to keep your professional life organized. Mm, Well, let's dig into that for a little bit. I wanted to park there for a while because organization is something for some people that comes really naturally and for others, it's more difficult. But there are some some common strategies for staying organized that I think can universally fit leadership. So let's go there for just a little bit. Well, I think we're all different. And so the correct organizational system for you is whatever works in your own mind, right? So it has to be a scheduling system that works for you. And so some people use their smartphones. Some people use sticky notes. Some people use those wonderful yellow legal pads that they've 
that they continue to replace as they fill them up. And it, it really depends on your personality and your stick-to-itiveness. I have a wonderful assistant principal and she's a post-it note girl and she's a legal pad girl. I need a spiral-bound notebook and some people need notifications. They, they live in their email calendars, whatever works. And then as you mentioned, some people, this doesn't come naturally. And so what I would say is you need a really good secretary who will help keep you organized or some kind of reminders that you can draw upon to keep you focused on your system. Because once you have your system in place, then all the tasks will will organize themselves. So the system is the most important. Yeah, and I think that can be physical or that can be digital, depending on what works best for you. I've talked to principals who have a physical system where they have a folder that is in their desks for each month of the school year. And within that folder, they already have things placed in there right. that are reminders of things that are will be coming up each month that reports they need to remember or, or common meetings that they're going to be having. I love the digital organization. I, I rely heavily on my, on my calendar, my online calendar. It's a place that I can put notes and I know they're always going to be on whatever device I can pick up. But whatever works for you, if it's not scheduled, it's not going to happen. And we talked exactly. about that yes. last episode too. So coming up with a system that works for you. What's another tip on that organization area? Well, we've talked about prioritizing quite a bit. And that is a really tricky word for principals because prioritizing implies that you're in control (laughs) and principals are often not in control. So I I like to take the time to prioritize. I do it at the beginning of of the week and then I do it at the beginning of the day. And then I just wait and see what happens. Um, All principals can relate to the moment where, you know, everything's going along swimmingly and then a student, um, you know, punches another student and the next two days are lost. So Priorities, they're great to work on, although you can't let yourself feel like a failure if your priorities do get reshuffled moment to moment. But taking that time, don't you feel, you mentioned how you schedule time, you prioritize time with your kids, and so you schedule it, and then that helps it to remain the priority that it was when you first started working with it. Right. And for our listeners who are assistant principals, or maybe you're a dean and you have a lot of student discipline, I remember several years where my responsibility was uh, student tardies in the mornings or attendance. And so I made it a goal to sit down at the beginning of my day. And just like I had out my calendar to see what classrooms I was going to visit or what meetings I had prioritized, I would take a list of all the students who I needed to make sure I touched base with about those specific items and list them out locate their room numbers, have their passes ready when the school day began so that after we got our first morning routine out of the way, I could immediately send and start seeing those kids so that within that first hour, that was my that was my block, I tried to set a goal to try to touch base with every one of those kids and follow up with their parents right. about that information. But, but that was how I prioritized each day because that was part of my responsibility. And it could easily, you could swim. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you waited two or three days, you could have a list so long you could never catch up. And never so, yep. so for those of you that manage large groups of kids or you've got specific tasks that require that daily touch, it's just important that you're ahead of the game with those as well. So sometimes that just means deciding what that's going to do for you. For some of you, that might mean putting that at the end of your day or during your lunch period, but whatever it is, prioritize that in advance 
or well, what I, I'm sorry. What I love about that, Will, is the other thing that's in there is your promise to your teachers and to the students to do your job. Mm-hmm. And that was part of your job. And so by prioritizing and making sure it happened, you were keeping your promises, whether they were spoken or unspoken. But you want to be a guy who will do what he says he's going to do. And you made that part of your day that was going to happen right away. And so before you even sat down for to, you know, for lunchtime or go, went to lunch duty, you had your promises kept. Well, and I think that's one of the important parts about prioritizing too, is trying to, as someone once said to me, and I don't, I can't quote them, but eat the frog first, yes. which is <laughs> of those things that are on your list that you have to do in that day. What's the part that's the hardest right. or the most uncomfortable or that you don't really enjoy the most and just get it out of the way. Do it. Yeah. Just do it. Make that Took phone call. Yep. Go talk to that person you don't want to talk to. Get that off the list first. Eat your frog first. And then you can enjoy, maybe it should be eat your vegetables first. I don't know. But (laughs) but get that finished first. So then you can step out and do the things that that might bring you joy or that might re-energize you, like connecting with kids or being in classrooms. So scheduling systems, taking time to prioritize. Let's talk a little bit about keeping track of your tasks because sometimes that's difficult too when, when you've got so much to do. Right. And again, I think this goes back to personal preference or personality. I'm a checkbox girl. And I mean that literally, I make these little boxes and I write my tasks next to them. And then I get great pleasure, probably too much pleasure in in crossing them off. And then I know they're done. And I reshuffle my list as I need to, or I rewrite things as I need to, but then I cross them off because we've all, you know, we're human. We all have that moment where we think, did I do that? Did I finish that evaluation? Did I set up that post-conference or whatever? And so if you cross them off, then you know all you have to do is glance at your notebook or your smartphone or your calendar or whatever tool you use to know how you're doing. And we all have had those days where we leave with very few things left on our list. And then we have the days where we leave and we think we will never, ever breathe clean air again because we're so deep in the, in the dirt of the work. But marking things off just helps you stay organized. And I, I'm sure you have lots of experience with this too, Will, just getting those things done and keeping track of getting them done. Well, one of the things I love about technology is the ability to create shared Google Docs too. And so one of the strategies that we would use as a team with my secretary or my other assistant principals or my counselors, whenever we were working on shared projects or or tasks is putting those lists. I have my own list, but sometimes we would have lists of things we're doing together, especially things like closing out a school year or beginning a new school year. And so trying to track those, sometimes if you share that list with others and you're each able to open it up and check it off as you're going. There's this, I don't know, there's this shared energy too yes. that you have when you can see that a job's getting done as well. Well, those are great takeaways, Jen. And so far we've covered just four things, being honest about your limitations, not being a martyr, being strong and remaining positive and staying organized. But I want to jump through some others in this episode. So let's, let's talk about a few more Well, I mentioned it in passing earlier about, you know, a wise principal is one who has a really good secretary, but I think there's truth in that, not just the secretary, but a a team of support, whether you have assistant principals or a great office staff, a colleague that just helps you keep on track, you know, that accountability partner, as you mentioned with, with the Google Docs, it helps to keep the energy going, keep the flow going, and also validate the accomplishments of getting through a day, getting through a week, getting through a month or a year with with things relatively um, complete. And so leaning on on support, whoever that is, will help keep your your sanity as well as, like I mentioned earlier, keep those promises, make sure things get done. 
Yeah. And I think that's so important because the support that you have around you is there for a reason. And sometimes we feel almost like we're imposing on people by asking for their help because everyone has so many responsibilities, but that's why we have each other is to support each other because there's going to be times where you have a longer list than you can accomplish and the people around you need to be able to support you and you need to be able to support them. So I think that's super important. Well, and and real close to that too, Will, is that connecting with colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, my district's quite large and, and we, there are 12 elementary schools and I will call those 12 principals my friends because we connect frequently, but we also have a good laugh a lot. Just this morning, we had a district professional development day and there was a lot going on. It was for parents. And so thousands of parents from two communities came together. And I ran into one of my colleagues at Starbucks in the morning and we just started laughing. He said, what are you doing today? And he starts ticking off all of the things that he's going to do on this, you know, lovely Saturday morning. And then I chimed in and soon we had this analogy going where we were the claw going down to grab a stuffed animal. And we were just hoping to grab two or three throughout the day. We're going to try and do those two or three, right. And so I tell that just because any kind of connection with a colleague where they know what you're experiencing, they understand that feeling of drowning, but also just having that pal where you can say, hey, you're in this too. And it, it makes you feel a little bit less crazy and it makes you feel like you're in, in it as a team and teams feel good. I love that. So leaning on support, connecting with colleagues, and then let's talk about remembering the purpose in our day. I think that's another important lesson too when you're feeling overwhelmed is to ask yourself, okay, how can I reconnect with what really gives me the most energy? And we right. both know, we both know that students, Jen. Right. So I, I, there's a story in your book that I really liked. And could you set that scenario up for us where you talk a little bit about a question that sometimes you float to right. candidates when you're interviewing them and tell that story right. because I think that's such a good reminder for the importance of prioritizing students. We've asked this question to candidates who want to work in our building before. And of course, sharing it on this podcast might negate its effective effectiveness, but let's tell it because it matters. Um, and you know, you ask a candidate, you're standing in the office, you've got a big stack of papers that you need to sign. And then a teacher comes in and she has to talk to you right away because she has a question about her class. And then the phone rings and the secretary says, the superintendent, he's on his way. He wants to meet you in your office. And then a student walks in and he's, he's going to the clinic and he's crying red faced and clearly in despair. And the question is, what would you do? And any answer beyond 10 to the child is in my mind, that's the wrong answer. Any child beyond that or any answer beyond that, you've got to remember the kids are first, not just when they're crying or when they need help, but, you know, seeing them at duty, making sure that they're feeling safe, making sure every child in your building has a place where they feel like they belong. All the other things, the ringing phones, the doors slamming, the parents, the superintendent, all of that can wait just so that the kids are okay. Well, and I remember the first time that I read that story, how guilty I felt because <laughs> I because I suddenly like was going back to all the scenarios where I had a kid standing in front of me with an upset teacher or with my superintendent coming in the building or whatever. And I, I started asking myself, how many times did I fail in that moment? But what I love about that story is it's such a good reminder of what you should be doing as a leader right. and, and as an educator. Well, and keep, let's be real too. There's times that a student may come in and the best thing you can do for that student is send him back to class. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you drop everything to tend to a child. Sometimes you have to say, 
you know what? Your job right now is to complete your English paper and you're going to go back and you're going to do that while I meet with my superintendent who's walking up to the sidewalk. So it's not necessarily making them the center of every decision in terms of time, but it's certainly making them the center of every decision in terms of what they need from you at that time. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also think it's important too to know who's serving who, because sometimes exactly. sometimes a student may walk in and there may be a person standing with you who already has a relationship with that exactly. student, maybe another principal or a counselor. And it's best to let that person who's already got that relationship Absolutely. and that's in their lane to step in and manage that. I've, I've, I've worked with teachers who sometimes step out of their lanes. They'll get, so, oh, yeah. they'll get so concerned about a student that they're providing instruction for that they want right. to help counsel they need a counselor to step in and kind of take that student right. to the side and manage that. But they they may get so caught up emotionally that they forget about the other 28 right. that are waiting for them in that classroom. And so I think it's important to make sure students are first, but make sure you understand that doesn't mean you're the person giving that student right. all that attention. I it's, think that's really right important, Will, because principals too, if you're, I've seen this happen with ego-driven principals and they feel like, you know, if a student is in crisis, I'm going to step in and handle this. It's like, no, 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 no. What you do is free up the counselor to handle it or you free up the school nurse or you free up a, a teacher who does have the relationship. We don't need to, to, to use your analogy from earlier, we don't need to get our cape out every time. Sometimes the very best thing we can do to keep students first is let somebody who's most trained or qualified handle it. We don't need to be the superpower. We can be the, the muscle behind the superpower. That's great. Well, I know we have two more strategies to suggest in this episode, and I want to jump on those next. Yep. And the next one is learning the cycles of leadership and how to ride them. Tell me some thoughts on that, Jen. So this is the dirty, dark secret of the principal world. And that is that there are quiet times. There are times that are really nice. They, everything's flowing. The kids are in the classrooms learning. It's fine to slow down and enjoy those as a principal. The year is a cycle and days are the cycle. And so by that, I mean, there's times you feel frantic and you have to hide in the boiler room to get your senses back. But there's other times you'll have several days in a row where everything's going beautifully and it's absolutely okay to ride that wave and enjoy it. The, the wheels are going to keep turning. And, you know, I know a lot of principals, I think you and I talked about this earlier, Will, a lot of principals feel guilt almost mm-hmm. when things are going well and they don't have a barn fire to put out. And there's no guilt needed there. There's celebration to be, yeah. to be found there. Well, in one of the conversations that I have with newer leaders is using the IMSA analogy. You know, I have a lot of friends that work in fire or police work or they work in first responders. And, you know, those guys work and ladies work really hard. But then there's times that they have downtime. Right. And, And I don't know anybody who wants to criticize them when they have downtime because by golly, you want them rested and ready for that next crisis. You don't want them going 24-7, crisis, crisis, crisis. And sometimes I think principals feel guilty when they suddenly hit a groove or hit a time, a season where maybe there's some freedom. And I just want to remind them, soak it in because, right. because that next crisis will happen. Absolutely. And, and when it does, then make sure that you're strengthened by that downtime or by that that season because you're going to hit that next season where things aren't going to be um, easy. And so I think sometimes learning how that feels and realizing that, that this work is seasonal, you know, when I was a teacher, I had routines within my classroom, but there, but you were with students all the time. And so you, there's never really a downtime. Right. And even if you created some instructional downtime, you're, there's never really any downtime. And so it was so surprising in the principalship to suddenly find some downtime, but then how do I manage that without guilt? And how do right. I 
And, and so one of the other suggestions I have about downtime too is those things that bring you joy, those things, maybe those projects that you wish you had more time to work on, keep that set to the side so you have time. And so, you know, for instance, Jen, I love to write. And so there would be times if maybe if I had a little downtime, I might take a few minutes and just sit down and write down some of the thoughts I was having or some of those things that I wish I could put in a blog post. And I know that sounds like I'm, you know, creating a conflict of interest with my work. But I think that if you're not taking a little time to invest in those things that bring you joy, it's going to be really hard to inspire the people that you lead. Don't feel guilty when you have downtime. And don't Absolutely. feel guilty to, to take some of that downtime and use it for something that's energetic and encouraging and pushing you to grow in your own profession. There's not a principal on earth that would begrudge a teacher who took a moment to breathe during plan time, right? Well, mm-hmm. there's not a principal in the world that has plan time. So we have to use one when we get it and use that time to plan. Yes. And so let's talk about the last tip in today's episode. The most fun tip, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is embracing unpredictability. What do we mean by that, Jen? You know, I used to think unpredictability was some kind of an indication of my flaws as a principal. Now I just find the humor in them. You know, if something happens I hadn't expected, I'll just think, well, that was a surprise. Didn't see that one coming. And I think it's, we have to become um, better at making peace with a job where you can't predict what's going to happen in a day and just have a good laugh. And I'm not suggesting you make fun of anything or anyone. I'm just saying you've got to embrace it and be good natured about it. Find the laughter and find the humor for goodness sake. Yeah. And I really think that's kind of where school leaders can find some joy is just realizing that the unpredictabilities of our jobs is what keeps them exciting. It's what And sometimes that can be overwhelming. I can still remember dreading the end of a semester as when I was an assistant principal because there was always an uptick in student discipline. Absolutely. For a couple of reasons. One, because students get very stressed at the end of a grading period about their grades and they start becoming a little more emotional in their responses to teachers. And teachers get more emotional at the end of a grading period because they have a lot of stress to finish a unit right. or to get their grades in, or they feel upset when a student is getting upset about his or her grades. And so right. there's this uptick of student discipline, parent phone calls, teacher Absolutely. visits that always happen. And I, I remember kind of dreading the end of a grading period right. for a long time. And finally, I just decided to begin embracing it. Yep. It's like, okay, here it comes, here it comes what's going to happen today because you know something is right. and you might as well <laughs> embrace it that, instead of dreading it. When I was at the middle school and every principal knows, every teacher knows full moons are a real thing. Mm -hmm. And we would just start to laugh. We'd say, guys, okay, it's two days from the full moon. I'll see you on the other end. Four days from now, we'll we'll touch base again. Because you do, you just kind of have to embrace, smile and and rely on each other. Find a, a colleague who enjoys laughing as much as you do and just make it part of your day to get a good laugh out of it. Well, Principal Matters listeners, finding a balance for strategies and solutions is not easy. And I don't want you to think for a moment that you'll ever find perfection or the perfect balance because that's a fallacy, but you can find strategies and solutions that help you better manage those times when you feel overwhelmed. And so this week, Jen, thank you so much for those takeaways. And I'm just going to quickly summarize them. One, be honest about your limitations. Two, don't be a martyr. Three, be strong and remain positive. Four, stay organized. Five, lean on support. Six, connect with your colleagues. Seven, put students first. Eight, learn cycles of leadership and how to ride them. And nine, embrace unpredictability. Well, Jen Schwanke, thank you so much for co-hosting this week and for the next several weeks as we continue to explore the series on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. And Principal Matters listeners, I want to thank you for taking time this week to listen, to learn, and to grow. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. 
If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. 